More details are coming out about the historically historic meeting between that fat, crazy man in North Korea and Kim Jong-un. President Trump and Kim met at the demilitarized zone after Trump sent Kim a playful, spontaneous tweet saying, Dear murderous lunatic with stupid hair, meet me at the DMZ for laughs and denuclearization. Kim immediately rushed to the meeting place with an entourage that included his agent, two publicists, a makeup girl, and 300,000 heavily armed infantrymen with eyes like zombies. In a thrilling off-the-cuff moment, Kim invited Trump to become the first sitting U.S. president ever to step into a country where the first man to stop applauding for the leader turns up three weeks later in several different plastic bags. Trump and Kim then took 19 paces together, each more historically historic than the last, after which Kim offered to welcome the American press corps with a traditional North Korean disembowelment ceremony. President Trump promised the reporters it would all be in good fun, but the cowards preferred to escape with their lives. In a private meeting, Trump and Kim then agreed to reopen the denuclearization talks, which faltered last February when Kim threatened to extinguish life on Earth, and Trump responded by poking him in the eye, then hitting him on top of the head with a mallet. The New York Times, a former newspaper, promptly responded to the incident with a harsh editorial, accusing Trump of damaging the work of previous presidents, whose more measured statesmanship had developed the relationship between our two countries to the brink of nuclear annihilation. Trump and Kim then returned to South Korea for something to eat after Kim remarked, quote, man, I'm starving, and so is everyone else around here. Ha ha ha, get it, unquote. After the summit, Trump said Kim was, quote, a great little guy and a total mass murderer. He even offered Kim a job in his administration, but the dictator declined, saying, quote, I'm crazy, but I'm not that crazy. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hurrah. So yesterday I put forward a somewhat different way to look at the division in our country, not so much a division between traditional right and left, but a division between friends of the American founding and the founding's enemies. Those of us who are proud and committed to the ideas on which this nation was created and those who think a better world is going to grow spontaneously out of the glowing compassion and virtue of their own glorious hearts. Knuckleheads, in other words. Now, the friends of the founding tend to talk about the Constitution, the law, the Declaration and its principles, the Federalist Papers and its philosophy, and so on. But of course, no ideas, no principle, and no Constitution can support our liberties if the people themselves don't support them too. We can't just have First Amendment speech protections in the Constitution. We need individuals and corporations who believe in a culture of free speech. Not free speech, but a true commitment to letting our worst enemy have his say. We can't just guarantee the right to worship. Enough of us have to care about worship to make that right meaningful and worth defending. I suspect the people who torment the cake baker in Colorado, I think they don't even realize that his right to follow his faith is actually more important than their right to have sex however they want. We can't enjoy our freedom without a deep understanding of the self-restraint and virtuous behavior that's required to make liberty practicable. The founders who set our Constitution was only for a religious people weren't kidding around. I don't think I'm stepping too far out on a limb to say we've lost some of that culture of freedom or to go even further and say it's in danger of being extinguished altogether. 
And there are real questions about how and whether that culture can be restored. I've long believed that Donald Trump was elected not so much for his political skills as for his cultural savvy. He was the belligerent voice of a frustrated people who felt their own voices, their culture, and their country had been taken away from them by urban elites with a multicultural leftist agenda, the enemies of the American founding. President Trump was the only way they could fight back short of revolution. The terrific slogan, Make America Great Again, has a plaintive aspect to it. It's the slogan of people who think some greatness has been lost and needs to be recovered. It's not just a matter of a better economy, though a good economy helps. It's not just a saner foreign policy, though God knows that would be a relief. It's a whole hearts and minds structure of faith and pride and self-restraint that used to hold up our freedoms and now seems in danger of collapse. A lot of people tell me that that culture can't be saved, which seems to me just a pointless observation. Despair is defeat. If you make the attempt, you simply don't know what can happen. So I think we need to begin talking specifically about what needs to be done to restore our culture. And I will try and start that today. I won't obviously be able to do the whole thing, but we'll talk about it. Uh, first, we have to talk about um, big token. Um, Big tech companies make a lot of money. You know they, you know what they say? They say, if you're not paying for the goods, you may be the product, right? And that's because you're giving all your data to them and then they sell the data. If you want to do that, go ahead. But you should know that you could be making money off that data too with Big Token. Here's how it works. First, you download the app. You sign up for a free Big Token account and then you complete actions to earn points. Actions can include answering a survey or checking a, a location, connecting your social accounts and more. Then you can redeem your points for rewards such as cash, cash and gift cards or donate your earnings to charity. You choose what data you share with Big Token and then get paid for it. Your data is always secure in Big Token and the best part is you get paid. It's lots of fun too. It's very addictive. If you want to start earning money for your data, go to the App Store or Google Play, search for Big Token, B-I-G-T-O-K-E-N, all one word. Download the app and sign up. Make sure to use my referral code, Clavin. Again, search Big Token in the App Store or Google Play, download the app, and use my referral code CLAVEN to sign up, claim your data, and get paid. Though, of course, you know, you can't get paid if you don't know how to spell CLAVEN. So, it's K-L-A-V-A-N. And let us not forget, tomorrow is the mailbag. You know, this is... <laughs> I can't take it. Anyhow, um, yeah, the mailbag, <laughs> whatever I was saying. It's uh, another long, uh, clavenless weekend with the July 4th weekend coming up. So you want to make sure that all your problems are solved before the weekend begins. How do you do that? Go to dailywire.com, hit the podcast button, hit the Andrew Claven podcast. There's a little picture of a mailbag. Hit that. And if you are a subscriber, if you're a subscriber, you can ask any questions you want. If you're not a subscriber, when you hit the mailbag, it actually hits you back. It leaps out of your computer and just punches you in the face and says, subscribe, you cheap SOB. But if you are a subscriber, which is only a lousy 10 bucks a month and 100 bucks for the year, you can then ask any question about religion, about politics, even about your personal life. All my answers are guaranteed 100% correct and will change your life maybe for the better. We can't be sure. We can't guarantee that. But we do guarantee they'll be the answers will be true and will change your life. And after that, you're on your own. So the New York Times this morning, a former newspaper, ran a video op-ed uh, called something like Stop Telling Me America is Great. And they, they ran this thing. Uh, it's very well made. It's very clever. 
and it puts forward the idea that this whole idea of America being great is ridiculous. Here's, here's a cut. America, the greatest country on earth. A narrative packed and sold to tiny patriots, reinforced by every cartoon, movie, cheeseburger, and mattress sale. Guaranteed. A mythology so entrenched, our most beloved personalities urge us never to question it. Don't let anyone ever tell you that this country isn't great. This right now is the greatest country on earth. Greatest country God ever gave me. You're the greatest country in the world, I'll tell you that. Oh, America's the greatest country in the world. But what if we did question it? It's a really dishonest video in a lot of ways. First of all, the entire setup that uh, uh, children are being taught, all the pictures of the children being taught are from the 50s. You know, So the idea that children today are being taught this is a great country is kind of garbage. And the fact that you put, um, you know, they put uh, Michelle Obama and then they put Sean Hannity say, oh, it's back, back both on the left and the right that they're saying it's a great country. We know that the Obamas did nothing but apologize for this country. We didn't forget that Michelle Obama said the first time she was ever proud of her country was the day her husband happened to get elected. Uh, so, you know, we know it's really only one side. And then they go on afterwards. I'm not going to play the whole thing, but they go on afterwards and talk about all the ways they think America is not great. And they they use... Um, you know, some of the stuff they say is fair, but a lot of it is is questionable. So they use our high poverty rates without mentioning the fact that poverty in America is wealth anywhere else because of wealth transfers. The problem we have here is not that people don't have enough money because they can get enough wealth transfers so that people in, living in poverty today are living uh, at a fairly high level compared to other countries. If you've ever been to another country, with the exception of Democrat cities where people are homeless, uh, that's the kind of poverty that is widespread in a lot of other countries. And they'll talk about uh, the high uh, mortality rate among uh, infants without mentioning the fact that we try to save a lot more infants who have been born so early that they would die in any other country. So, you know, the statistics are questionable. uh, But I don't think that there is any question that there is any question that this is not the country that it was. That is the fact that that is the reason Trump is uh, so popular with his slogan, make America great again. So the idea is something has been lost. And I think after eight years of listening to Obama apologize for this country, after eight years of listening to news people uh, like Katie uh, Couric, who said she was uncomfortable when she saw the American flag, when she saw a uh, somebody wearing an American flag pin, wasn't that going too far? When we were supposed to wonder why Al-Qaeda disliked us instead of just bombing them into the Stone Age. I mean, why should we, wa- why should we wonder why animals like Al-Qaeda dislike us? They dislike us because we're better than they are and we're free. That's why they dislike us. And it, and it goes on to talk about how we're not free. I mean, it's, it, it really is a dishonest video, but still, still, I can't help feeling that everybody senses, everybody senses that this is not the country that it was and something was lost. And a lot of the people on the left say, oh, that's because you're a racist. You want to go back to those days of Jim Crow and go back to days when women, you know, were uh, stuck in the house and all this stuff. But that's nonsense. That's absolutely absurd. What people want is to go back to the days when people were proud of their country, when their children were taught to be proud of their country. And yes, now we understand that people were left out. Let's include them too. Nobody's against, I don't think anybody is against that. I think the problem is that we've lost some sense of pride. You know, uh, Gallup has a poll out 
It says, as Americans prepare to celebrate the 4th of July holiday, <coughs> their pride in the U.S. has hit its lowest point since Gallup's first measurement in 2001. While 70% of U.S. adults overall say they are proud to be Americans, this includes fewer than half who are extremely proud, marking the second consecutive year that this reading is below the majority level. It's only really a 2% decline, which is kind of meaningless. Still, people were extremely proud of America. The last time that number really spiked was after 9-11 when people suddenly realized, oh yeah, good country. But when you read close, more closely into this Gallup poll, it's the Democrats who weren't proud. The latest overall declines in patriotism are largely driven by Democrats whose self-reported pride has historically been lower and has fluctuated more than Republicans. Democrats' latest 22% extreme pride reading is the group's lowest in Gallup's 19 years of measurement and is half of what it was several months before Donald Trump's 2016 election victory. So they're happy when they're winning. Uh, they're not happy when they're losing, which is not true of the Republicans who remain very proud even during uh, Barack Obama. Republicans have remained extremely proud of their country, and the latest 76% reading is just 10 points below the high recorded in 2003. Even when Barack Obama was in office, Republicans' extreme pride never fell below 68%. And that's, that is really telling to me. It's really telling that when the Democrats lose, they lose their pride. In other words, they're only proud, like Michelle Obama, they're only proud of a country they run, and they cannot see that there might be another way. Whereas Republicans are proud of the structure. They're the friends of the founding, right? They, they understand that the founding is still in place even if they lose an election. The fact that there's an election, the fact that it works the way it's supposed to work, the fact that we transfer power peacefully, uh, that, that people are still constrained by the Constitution, Obama less than any other president I can think of, but still you know, was, was constrained to some degree by the Constitution and by the separation of powers and by the courts who gave him a record number of 9-0 defeats uh, in the in the Supreme Court because he overreached on his executive powers. The, so we remain proud because we feel the system is in place. Where as we know, when the Democrats lose, it's suddenly oh we got to get rid of this system. We got to get we got to stack the Supreme Court. We got to get rid of the Electoral College because they are only proud of this country when they win. And that is the difference between somebody who's proud of the founding, who's a friend of the founding, and someone who is just proud of himself and think his, his own glorious compassion and virtue is going to transform the world into something it has never been ever. Okay. And that's, that is the difference. So I want to go back and talk and, and show you the difference between these two cultures in just a sec. But first, let us talk about your beautiful teeth. I know you look at me, you say, my God, that guy has such a dazzling spot, smile. But you know, as you get older, your teeth start to move around. And if you want to get your teeth fixed, the last thing you want to do is wear braces as an adult, right? Candid is a clear alternative to braces. They Candid has an orthodontist who is licensed in your state, create a treatment plan for you. And Candid only uses experienced orthodontists. They even create a 3D preview of what the final results will be like. Once you approve that 3D pre preview, Candid creates custom clear aligners that will be sent directly to you. And that means no hassle. You don't have to go to the orthodontist's office. You can do this all online. Candid costs 65% less than braces, and you can save thousands of dollars and have straighter, brighter teeth in an average of just six months. You're one step away from getting straighter, brighter teeth. Learn more at candidco.com slash Clavin and use code Clavin to get $75 off. That's candidco, C-O, candidco.com slash Clavin, code Clavin for 75 bucks off. And it only costs you, if you send me personally $75, <coughs> I will tell you how to spell Clavin. That's only a joke. Don't send me money. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. 
Now, the fourth is coming. Trump is talking about having a great big parade. Here is Donald Trump talking about the parade he's going to have uh, on the 4th of July. We're going to have a great 4th of July in Washington, D.C. It'll be like no other. It'll be special. And I hope a lot of people come. And it's going to be uh, about this country. And it's a salute to America. And I'm going to be here. And I'm going to say a few words. And we're going to have planes going overhead, the best fighter jets in the world, and other planes, too. And we're going to have some tanks stationed outside. So, of course, this makes the left crazy. Now, this is one of the reasons that Trump was elected. He was elected to say, stand up when they play the national anthem, you rich, lazy, stupid football players. You know, he was he was elected to say, no, we love this country. We don't want a globalist world. We don't want to lose our borders. That's why he was elected. And this drives the left crazy. The very fact of having pride in your country uh, upsets them and worries them. So here's Eugene Robinson, very far left writer, I think, for The Washington Post uh, on MSNBC reacting. It's glorious. It's wonderful. It's it's one of the best days of the year uh, in Washington, despite the fact that it's usually 95 degrees. And to and to take this uh, and to make it into what seems to be kind of a combination Trump rally and Kim Jong Un style military parade of, of hardware and equipment with Sherman tanks, which is ridiculous. The last Sherman tank, I think, was was taken 50s. out of service in 1957. Yeah, but um, uh, but it's just obscene. It it really is, and uh, I, I just I I just hope it doesn't spoil the whole day. Oh, it spoils the whole day to have those military parades. We've done this, I don't know, seven or eight times in history. Uh, usually, you know, we've, we've had tanks go by. Um, before, usually these military parades take place after a victory in war, World War I or World War II. But during the Cold War, uh, John F. Kennedy, here's a picture, I think, of Kennedy's inauguration uh, with the tanks going by, uh, right by the, the reviewing stand. Uh, there was one for, I think... Um, I think it was uh, Eisenhower. Eisenhower had one after the victory in the Gulf War. So it's, it's been done before. There's nothing uh, obscene about it. There's nothing evil about it. There's nothing Kim Jong-un about it. Uh, we're a powerful country. Trump wants to celebrate that power. But that's the difference. That is the difference between the right and the left. And it's not just patriotism. It is not just patriotism. It is an actual belief in what this country is. Remember, this country only country on earth, this is true, this country is created by its constitution. It wasn't there one day, and then the next day it was. When we are patriotic, now look, we all have, everybody has a natural feeling of love for their native land. If you don't have that natural feeling for your native land, it's like not having a natural feeling of affection for your mother. It really is something, something is wrong with you if you don't have it. And yes, that natural feeling can lead you astray, as it can lead you astray with your, your mother. You know, I mean, sometimes you're, if your mom is doing something abusive or something terrible, you might have to cut her loose. You might have to protect yourself, defend yourself. And that natural feeling of desire to be attached to her can get in your way. Same with your country. If your country is doing something evil, something truly wicked, uh, you might have to overcome that natural feeling. But America deserves more than that from us because of what it has done, because it has become increasingly more free. It has become increasingly like the image of itself that's presented in the uh, in the Declaration, it has been a great country. There is no one, as I've said a million times, there is no one walking the planet Earth who is politically free who does not owe a debt to the blood and treasure of this 
country. We have freed, all freedom has come from us in some way, uh, has been defended by us in some way. And I know the British get very upset about that because they are the mother of parliaments and I respect that totally, but they'd be gone if it weren't for America. They resent hearing that too, but it is true. And it's true, you know, it's true to, the, to, to this day. And so we love this country. This country deserves a kind of love that goes beyond our natural feeling for our motherland. It goes beyond that. And there's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing to be afraid of. And it is actually celebrating the best thing we are. And I think on the left, it's gone. I think that that culture is gone. And the reason it's gone is because it has been trained out of people. See, this is why that New York Times video was so dishonest, because they say, this is what we teach kids in school. As if, as if, I mean, the biggest history book, the biggest seller history book is that Howard Zinn, he's a, he was a communist. He hated this country. He wrote that People's History of the U.S. in which he said, this is history told from the point of view of the victims. I want to tell it from the point of view of the victims. But the thing is, there are always victims everywhere. You know, it's not, I'm not forgiving the sins of this country. I'm saying that every country has its sins, but this country has something different that has that transforms it usually toward more freedom and it's that that we've lost and it's we've lost the uh the underlying mechanism that supports it which is our virtue which is our religion which is our sense of self-restraint you know it, it is interesting that we talk when we're talking about pride when we're talking about pride and country they're having these pride parades uh that basically celebrate leftism but also celebrate sexual liberation uh sexual liberation I, you know i don't actually think that that's a <laughs> value. I think you should be able to, you know, have the love affair you want. I think you should be able to have the, you know, be in love with the person you want. But free free sex is destructive to you. It's not just, I'm not just talking about, oh, it's immoral because God doesn't like it. It's destructive to you and it ultimately makes you a slave because it's going to get you sick. It's going to get you uh, in trouble. It's going to mean that you have to come to the government and beg them for help. And that's why the left loves it so much. So when you see our, our old friend, Congresswoman Alexandria Occasional Cortex, who really is is a uh, awful. I mean, she's an awful ignoramus, and she really is. Uh, I think she's a, a dishonest person as well. And begin, you know, at first I didn't actually think that she was entirely dishonest, but now uh, she went down to one of these Texas detention centers, and she comes out and she says, "Oh, I wasn't safe in there. Uh, these guys were threatening to me." She wasn't she says she wasn't safe from the guards, from the people running the detention uh, center, and she came out and she just said, "What a what a nightmare it was." Can you say it again in English, please? There's abuse in these, in these facilities. There's abuse. This was them on their best behavior, and they put them in a room with no running water, and these women were being told by CBP officers to drink out of the toilet. They were drinking water out of the toilet, and that was them knowing what a congressional visit was coming. That was This is CBP on their best behavior, telling people to drink out of the toilet. Did you see somebody actually do that? <laughs> she rolls up the window of her car before answering if she actually saw anybody do that. And of course, the press, the leftist press, this is the reason they know they can say these things because the leftist press will back them up. As New York Times, you know, women held in rooms without running water, sleeping bags set up on concrete, and children left apart from their families. That was what Democratic lawmakers said they heard about. On <laughs> That's what Democratic lawmakers said they heard about on Monday as they toured to Texas border facilities, okay? This is what they said they heard about, okay? So it's a, the New York Times has nothing, but they lead with it. They write the lead as if it's really true, as if that's the drama of the story. Uh, the border agent said, 
um, one border agent told the examiner, said this is what happened with the migrant and drinking water from the toilet. She wanted water, didn't know how to use the faucet in the cell, and drank from the toilet. She never told AOC that we made her drink from the toilet. AOC, of course, changed it. This was when she, the migrant, was apprehended and brought into the facility. This is, by the way, I mean, and and, and others have suggested, you know, they have these, uh, the same kind of things they have in prison. It's one unit that has both a sink and a toilet on it, and the sink works up top, and AOC didn't see any of this happen anyway, so it doesn't matter. You know, this is a full-on Kavanaugh hysteria going on. This really is. We know they do this because we saw them do it with Kavanaugh, and, and they're doing it again. All the stuff that's happening was happening before. The only difference is, is because the Congress has done nothing to change the asylum laws that need changing, that everybody agrees need changing, because they've done nothing, because they have this Leninist policy that they want this to go so badly that they will get cause you know hysteria and the whole thing can collapse. Because of that, because no one, more people are coming in, and they're, they're, we, there are reports that they're buying children uh, so they can bring in and say, this is my beloved child that I paid. I, I love him so much because I paid so much to get him. Uh, you know, they're coming in dishonestly. What are we supposed to do with them? What are we supposed to do with them? The only difference between now and Obama is more of them are coming in and we're understaffed. And when they said, let's send more money to help them out, AOC voted against it. This is a full-on Kavanaugh lie that they're telling the people. uh, You know, there was some website, some Facebook page where some people who they claim to have been part of the border security unit uh, were making racist remarks. And the, the government says they're going to investigate that. Let's wait and see who that really was. Find out. There are always some bad hats. There are always some bad apples. Maybe it was really border guards, but we'll see who it was. And they put those two stories together to gin up hysteria. And that's what it is, because it really is people who have been trained not to be proud of their country. You know, yesterday we had Michael Knowles on. I know every time you see Michael Knowles, you think to yourself, why didn't we use ZipRecruiter when we were hiring people? And I know it's it's tragic, but you can avoid that tragedy. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over a hundred of the web's leading job boards, and they don't stop there with their powerful matching technology. ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five of employers who uh, post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Do not let Michael Knowles happen to your business. Trust me on this. You do not want that. It's ugly. It's a terrible thing to behold. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free, which is pretty inexpensive at this exclusive web address. ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash D-A-I-L-Y-W-I-R-E. One word. ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. ZipRecruiter, it's the smartest way to hire. All right. So all of this is what I'm what I'm saying about this. All of this is a matter of culture. There are people talking on the right right now saying we need to restore this. We need to use the government to restore that virtue. There's no way to do this. I mean, the the government can do helpful things. It would be nice if we could dial back uh, the imposition of uh, regulatory agencies. It would be nice if we could dial back the imposition on local 
uh, schools that keeps prayer out of school. I don't think that that was what the founders intended. I think this wall, so-called wall between church and state is a made-up leftist trope. That was not what they intended. Uh, they didn't intend for religion to be chased out of the, the square, but the, uh, out of the public square. But the question is, how do we do this? And obviously, it is a cultural question. You have to make people proud again. You have to make people, people have to be religious again. Look, you can't defend the right to your faith if you, in fact, don't have any faith. If you don't understand that why faith is so important, why it's more important, uh, what you believe and whether you can practice your faith, uh, then it is who you sleep with. It's more important because that's an expression of your soul. That's an expression of your mind. That's an expression of the way you see eternity is the way you see the world as well. All of these things have to be restored. And when I talk about this, people say, well, if somebody said to me the other day, it's like moving the sky. How do you, how do you change the culture? But the thing is, the left did it. The left did it. You know, this is not the culture that it was even as far back as the 1980s. They did it through the courts. They did it through Hollywood. They did it through uh, the universities, uh, maybe most especially through the educational system. They taught people out of their freedom. They, de they de-educated people about freedom. If they can do it, I do not see why we can't do it. What we can't do is we can't do it tomorrow. We can't do it immediately. That's, that's different. And so I think we really have to talk in very specific terms because I hate when people talk about this stuff and they kind of have these vague, high-sounding words about what we're supposed to do. I think we have to talk in very specific terms about what it is what it is we have to do in order to get our culture back even over time. Hey, I've got a really interesting uh, guest coming up. Uh, it's Tuesday, so we're going to cut away. But come on over to thedailywire.com, and you can hear it. Lawrence Mead, he's going to be talking about some of these issues, uh, basically, and, and what has gone wrong and how maybe we can start to to uh, take it back. But come over to dailywire.com for that. I got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. While you're at dailywire.com, good time to subscribe. Why? Because tomorrow is the mailbag. You cannot ask questions in the mail. You know, I get a lot of letters from people that start, you know, I, I haven't subscribed, but I really need that. I'm having this problem with my mom. Can you tell? And I say to them, hey, hey, send me the 10 bucks. <laughs> Never mind your mom. Where's the money? So, so, so so subscribe today and you can be in the mailbag tomorrow. Come on over to dailywire.com. All right. Lawrence Mead is professor of politics. Lawrence M. Mead is professor of politics and public policy at New York University. Uh, he's got a lot of, of previous books. He defined the theory behind the radical welfare reform of the 1990s, which for the first time required many welfare recipients to work as condition of aid. And it was a great success until Obama basically uh, gutted it. But he has a new book called The Burdens of Freedom, The Burdens of Freedom by Lawrence M. Mead. Are you there, sir, Lawrence? I am. There you are. How are you doing? Good to see you. Well, you know, I'm talking a lot about the culture and the culture that's required for freedom. And that's basically what the burdens of freedom is about. Can you yes. can you describe for people yes. what the thesis is? All right. The basic thesis is that freedom, as Americans understand it, depends upon an individualist culture where people pursue personal goals and interests that they decide. But they also have a moralistic idea of right and wrong which is general and applies to virtually all situations. And it's that that allows us to combine uh, personal efforts that serve our own interests with a collective capacity to mobilize government to help us out in various ways and to pursue other goals around the world. So the individualist culture is really crucial to what America has become. And today, however, parts of our society 
uh, are have a different culture that comes from the non-Western world, which is much more passive and reactive, where people really adjust to conditions rather than seeking to bring about change, and they're much more situational about right and wrong. They tend to uh, adjust to what other people expect them to do rather than what they think is right and wrong themselves. And that division is, I think, the main problem facing the country. It affects our domestic policy and also uh, relations with foreign countries, most of which are non-Western and don't behave as we would expect uh, ourselves to do or Western countries that are, have a similar culture. So the concerns that you have about immigration, which are a big part of my argument, are actually rooted in cultural difference. The, things that makes, the thing that makes immigration controversial in America is primarily the fact that the immigrants don't come from an individualist culture. And therefore, they hit other Americans as different. And, and it creates problems of adjustment for both sides. And we have to focus on this. We have to be willing to talk about cultural difference, which in general we haven't been allowed to do because it's thought to be improper. And the kind of discourse you're showing on the Daily Wire, I have to say, is closer to what we need. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. The minute, of course, you talk about cultural difference, you're accused of racism. Is it a matter of race? No, no. The, my sources are primarily scholars of cultural differences around the world, which, and they say, this is not about race. It has to do with the culture in which you're raised. And it just happens to be that the Western world has this individualist culture, which arose, it's not entirely clear how, but there are a lot of historical antecedents that caused the West and only the West to be an individualist culture. Uh, and the non-West is non-individualist for other reasons and isn't related to race. Furthermore, there can be cultural change, and there has been change over time. Uh, part of America that began as non-individualist, I'm thinking here of black Americans, part of that group has become individualist because they've lived in America long enough to pick up the dominant individualist culture. But today we have immigrants coming in in large numbers from Latin America, from Asia, who are not individualist, and thereby uh, are in tension with the mainstream uh, culture. And that is where most of the problems arise. And we have to be ready to see that. On the one hand, I accept that. I think we need to have a multicultural society. But on the other hand, we have to expect, expect all groups will take on uh, an individualist culture. That really means taking on the burdens of freedom. Freedom is not easy. Now, freedom is, is not easy. How do you do that? How do you teach people to become individualistic? Well, I think it's primarily something we pursue in the schools, also the churches, civic groups, all of those that, in, that bring in new people who've come from other countries and show them how uh, mainstream America relates and how people work together to solve problems and also pursue their own interests. That's what we need to get across, particularly among young people. Uh, and in fact, uh, the most effective schools for poor students have shown a way to do this. They really are rather effective in getting uh, students from immigrant families to take on a different way of life rather than just adjust and try to survive and get through the day, which is the, the most, what, what is, which is what most non-Western non peoples try to do. Rather than that, you set a goal for yourself and you set out to achieve it. And that, that means taking on responsibilities. You, you agree to do certain things, you promise yourself to do certain things, and now you have to carry it out. So actually being free is not free. Free involves responsibilities. And it's that, taking on burdens inwardly, that confers outward freedom. If we don't do that, we are not free in the American sense. We can't just talk about the outside world getting better as we would hope it to be. We can't do that 
That's what the non-West does. They wait for the world to change. <laughs> no, Americans set out to change the world themselves and work with other, others to do so. And it's that inner-driven temperament that is absolutely crucial to what America has achieved and what today's newcomers also have to do. They have to set goals and go out and try to change the world. You know, every, uh, every democracy after a certain period develops a welfare state, and we've developed a welfare state. And it seems to me that there is a conflict between a welfare state and individualism. Am I, is that, is that small minded of me or true? Uh, actually, that's not the argument I make. Okay. Uh, in general, the, the welfare state, I think, has a minor influence on the attitudes of Americans. The welfare state was the creation of the moralistic culture that is part of an individualist society. Uh, people who were working and struggling to get ahead, they said, hey, government can help us in certain ways and we'd like government to help us. Doesn't mean we give up helping ourselves. In fact, the major social programs, the most expensive ones, are premised on paying payroll taxes. So you have to be a worker in order to get those benefits. We don't just give money to people who aren't doing something to help themselves. Now, we do have welfare programs that traditionally did not require work, but we started to condition those benefits on working, exactly because we want to make sure people are also helping themselves. So the major source for this passive culture that I'm talking about is really demographic. It has to do with the fact that people came from outside the West. They didn't come from Europe. Country was founded primarily by Europeans, but other groups never were part of Western culture. I'm thinking now of blacks, Latin Americans, uh, Asians, also Native Americans. These people all have a different view of life, and there's, there's some value in that other way of life. But on the other hand, we have to expect those people to take on the burdens of freedom. So the welfare state is not our main problem. And remember, most of the non-Western world does not have a welfare state. Mm. Yet th those people are quite involved in a life of survival, of just getting through the day. And they're very good at that. One of the strengths of the non-West is, is stoicism, the ability to deal with things that we cannot change. Well, the West, that isn't the West. The West is a masterful culture in which individuals and people working together think that they can change the world. That's what made America a great country. That's what made it the richest and most powerful country. We have to be sure that that temperament doesn't pass away. So the advocates that you're criticizing, like these recent democratic liberals, they actually are individualists in the sense that I think is important. <laughs> they are moralizing. They're making judgments against the society. That's quite, that is absolute orthodox individualist behavior. The problem isn't them making these claims. It's the fact that the groups they're speaking for are so passive. That's the real problem. They wow, couldn't yeah. present these groups as victims with no, no recourse unless they were so passive. That, it's remarkable to me. See, this isn't like the labor movement. This isn't like the civil rights movement or the feminist movement or the recent gay movement. In all those cases, those who sought change made an effort themselves to, to bring about change. Whereas today's victim groups the groups supported by uh, identity politics are entirely passive. And they're spoken for by advocates who are not at all like them, who are much more active, more moralistic. Would that they were more like their own people. <laughs> See, when Martin Luther King marched for civil rights, he didn't do it alone. He had a lot of other blacks marching behind him. These were people who had learned in school, learned in the church to assert themselves, to assert what what, what uh, King called their assertive selfhood. That's the way forward. So the problem isn't really 
that these advocates are making these outrageous claims. Indeed, they are outrageous. I don't believe them. Nonetheless, they can make those claims only because the people behind them do not march behind them. In fact, act like victims, act passive, act helpless. That is the mentality of the non-West. And in the non-West, it makes sense. A lot of those countries have never seen the dynamic society that America has. They haven't had a history of individualism. So in, that, in those worlds, it makes sense to be passive and to wait for the world to change. And that isn't what we want in this country, however. That's not America. We don't want to bring that attitude here. We, can, we certainly should accept it initially. But those groups coming from outside the West have to take on the burdens of freedom. That, you know, that's the name of the book, The Burdens of Freedom by Lawrence M. Mead. Uh, that's a fascinating theory. I, I have to ask you, the thing that popped into my mind with the backdrop of your, of your bookshelf, yeah. you're, you're, you're at NYU, am I right about that? Is it, yes. When you say these things, uh, do they show up at your uh, door with torches and rocks? I mean, they, uh, well, <laughs> there have been occasional students who were upset by these arguments, um, only a few. Uh, others are fascinated. They never heard anything like this. Because, see, I'm presenting freedom as obligation. I'm really saying to be a free person means to take on a lot of responsibilities. Most free people in America who don't see themselves as victims, their lives are full of obligations. You and I agreed to do this show right now at this hour some time ago. We made a promise to be here then. And we made it happen. We just had to unscramble certain problems with the Skype system, for example. So you take the steps needed to realize your own goals, your own promises. That is so most most successful people in America are not free in, in any simple sense. Their lives are full of obligations, promises to others, promise things that government asks them to do, like pay taxes and obey the law. So freedom isn't true, isn't free. And it's only if we accept those inner obligations that we become outwardly free. It, I'm, I'm running out of time, but I would just like some kind of idea of what it is you feel that the West did and, and needs to do to yeah. create that culture of individualism. It, it's a combination of the influence that came from the groups that formed European society a long time ago, at the time of the, the fall of the Roman Empire, plus the, the religious influences coming from Judaism and Christianity of the classical world, uh, Protestantism, these things all generated a society in which even ordinary people thought they had some control over their lives and they could actually try to achieve something personal. And when you did that, you produced a dynamic society that never stops, never stops changing, never stops improving. That's why we get rich and powerful. And the, the, the question ought to be not how the West became rich and powerful, but why the whole rest of the world didn't do that. Why is only the West individualist? We need to recognize that we are an extraordinary, very unusual culture. And it's our fate to lead the world. I don't think, I, I see no way in which the non-Western world, even China, can do what we do because they have a much more cautious culture. People adjust to life as it is. They don't seek to, be, to bring about changes. So we, we need to ask our new, our, 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 the outgroups in America, okay, what, what do you want to do? And will you take on board the burdens of freedom in order to pursue your goals? That's what we need to do. So the advocates, though, they're, they're irritating and impossible and so on, so on, so on. They're not our real problem. Our real problem is that part of our society has checked out and has decided that it really can't pursue the burdens of freedom.
Wow, really interesting theory. I have a lot more questions, but I don't have time to ask them. I hope you'll come back and talk again. Uh, Lawrence okay. M. Mead, the book is The Burdens of Freedom, Cultural Difference, and American Power. Uh, you're a brave man. <laughs> I'd like, to, I'd like to hear more. Thanks a lot. Okay. Thank you. All right. Uh, that that was really uh, interesting. I obviously haven't had time to read the book, uh, and I really would like to uh, and, and talk to him again. Uh, you know, I, when I first started this uh, show, I had a thing called St Stuff I Like, uh, where I would talk about some of the classic uh, books and movies that really uh, shaped my mind. I stopped doing it after a while because I felt uh, I was getting uh, it was going to get repetitive. Uh, but I have to talk about two books. Really, really, I want to talk about one book that I uh, reread over uh, vacation. Um, but the two books that I feel have informed me most about what politics is like, how politics actually works in a democratic and a free society. Uh, one of them is The Power Broker by Robert Caro. And if you haven't read The Power Broker by Robert Caro, it's about a subject that didn't mean anything to me. Robert Moses, uh, who helped build most of New York City, Jones Beach, all these things in New York. It's called Robert Moses and the Fall of New York, but it just taught me so much about how politics actually works. Uh, fascinating, fascinating book, and Caro is just a spectacular writer, a really great writer and great researcher. But the book that I reread over um, my vacation was a novel by one of my favorite Victorian novelists, Anthony Trollope. And people don't read Trollope a lot. He is the conservative Dickens. He has been called the conservative Dickens. Uh, he is a much more realistic writer than Dickens. He's not the great prose stylist or character creator that Dickens is. He didn't believe in plot, and he just kind of tells uh, a, a subject, uh, just tells a kind of slice of life. But his book, Phineas Finn, uh, is a, a novel about a guy in Parliament, a young man uh, entering Parliament at the time when the great reform bill uh, was passing in, I think it's the 1860s, I believe, uh, which sort of spread um, voter rights beyond the uh, beyond the nobility and gave it gave more freedom to more people in in Britain. And it's about how that look how that looked to people. And just their individual life and it's love story and it's a, a, a real novel. It's a real story of a, a young man and his psychology. But if you ever want to see in the most entertaining way imaginable, I mean, I couldn't put the, it's like 800 pages. I read it in a week. Um, and in the most entertaining way imaginable, if you want to see the psychology of of democracy, the psychology. When I say democracy, I mean civilizations that run by vote, by that some have some kind of care for the freedom of the people. If you want to see how that works, uh, it is just an amazing psychological view, and it is so helpful to understanding how change comes about, how it doesn't come about, what matters, uh, what people sacrifice, what they don't sacrifice, and how these things work. Obviously, it's the British parliamentary system. It's not our system. But still, you will learn an immense amount, not just about uh, government, but also about career and what career looks like. Great book, Phineas Finn uh, by Anthony Trollope. One more day. Tomorrow is the mailbag, and then the long, clavenless weekend is upon you. Please uh, go on to dailywire.com, get in, subscribe, get in the mailbag, ask your questions. All my answers are guaranteed correct. They will change your life. I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. Oh, hooray, hoorah. 
The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. And our animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Hey, guys, over on the Matt Walsh Show, AOC uh, went down to the border and, and made some pretty wild claims about what's going on down there and the things that she supposedly witnessed. We'll try to sort through all of that today. Also, Nike has recalled a patriotic shoe with a flag on it because it offended Colin Kaepernick, apparently. And, um, you know, one thing that's popular these days is people using their kids to make political points. And I think that we all need to stop doing that. And I'll talk about why today over on the Matt Walsh Show. 